Our text today is taken from Job chapter 9. As we recall our background of the book of Job, you remember that Job became a battleground between God and Satan. Job was actually the godliest man of his day. And God challenged Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth, a uh, just man, an upright man, one who uh, walks with me and who eschews evil. And uh, Satan said, well, God, Job only serves you because you bless him. Let me take the things that you've given to him, and he will curse you to your face. And uh, God said, all right, uh, you can take those things. And in the process, Job loses uh, his... uh, family, he loses uh, his uh, wealth, he loses his health. And uh, then, uh, in spite of this, Job trusts God. Uh, he says, the Lord gave, the Lord taketh away, uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Instead of cursing God as Satan had said he would, he blesses God. In all this, Job sinned not, neither charged God foolishly. At this point, uh, uh Three friends of Job uh, come on the scene, and uh, they begin to counsel with him, and uh, in their effort to help him, they feel that uh, he surely must have done something wrong, or all of this uh, misery wouldn't have happened to him. And uh, they say, Job, what did you do that brought all of this on you? And Job's answer is, uh, in effect, that he didn't do anything, uh, that... uh, All of this has happened while he was walking with the Lord. And they simply uh, have a great difficulty with that. Uh, That's the background of uh, where we are. Uh, One of these friends' name is Bildad. And uh, in the opening verse of chapter 9, we have Job's uh, acquiescence to Bildad's statement. Job says in... uh, Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 9, Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth. Now, what he's referring to apparently is Bildad's statement in chapter 8, verse 3. Doth God pervert judgment? Or doth the Almighty pervert justice? God surely won't do anything wrong, says Bildad. And Job is agreeing with that statement. I know that it is so of a truth, says Job. God wouldn't do anything wrong. Uh, Of course, Bildad's position is that it would be wrong of God uh, to have brought all these things upon Job unless Job had sinned grievously, which Job doesn't agree with and which was actually not the case, as we shall see. At this point, uh, we have Job's classic question on justification. Uh, He says in the last uh, part of that uh, second verse of chapter 9, But how should man be just with God? Bildad had also said uh, in verse 20 of uh, chapter 8, Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man. Now, uh, uh, that uh, could well be true in a sense. Job uh, touches on uh, uh, the question, all right, but how can a man be right with God? How can a man be just with God? 
And of course, that is the classic question on justification. How can man be just uh, with God? Uh, the reason that uh, Job uh, raises this in uh, verse 3 uh, through verse 20, he deals with various reasons. He says in verse 3 uh, that man is unable to answer God's charges against him. In verse 3, if he will contend with him, if God contends with man, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. Uh, contend here is a technical word in the Hebrew for uh, conducting a lawsuit. If God enters into a lawsuit with man, says Job, uh, a man can't answer him uh, one charge out of a thousand in such a way as to acquit himself. Uh, you know, that's an interesting part as you have here a, a confession of man's sinfulness on the part of the best man who ever lived. Uh, one of the best, uh, certainly. Uh, and <clears throat> if God would contend with man, that man could not answer him one out of a thousand charges. Uh, why don't most men realize this? The average man that you talk to, although uh, he is doing things wrong, uh, he feels that he's all right with God. And... Uh, he thinks that God will accept him on the basis of his behavior. Now, that's not so according to the Bible. According to the Bible, no man is accepted with God on the basis of his keeping God's law. None have kept God's law. Man cannot answer God one of a thousand. But the average man thinks he's acceptable with God. Why is that? And the reason is he compares himself with other men rather than with God's standard. God's standard, of course, is his law, the Ten Commandments. And we have not kept it. We've all sinned and come short. And the wages of sin is death. These men who think, and you may be one of them, that God is going to accept them on the basis of their behavior are doomed to hell. The wages of sin is death. Job goes on now to bring out... Uh, God's attributes. He's spoken of man's illability. Now, God's attributes. Uh, these attributes uh, are wisdom and strength. Uh, in verse 4, it says, He, God, is wise in heart and mighty in strength. And thus, who has hardened himself against him and has prospered? We might say, but uh, the wicked prosper, as Psalm 73 says. Well, they seem to prosper. They prosper materially, maybe, but they're not really prospering in the long run. They're treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath. Uh, ultimately, they will be dealt with terribly. Uh, the uh, way in which God demonstrates his wisdom and power is brought out in verses 5 to 13. He demonstrates his wisdom and power, for instance, in nature. In verse 5, uh, which removeth the mountains, and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger. When he pleases, he alters the course of nature. In verse 6, which shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble, which command the sun, and it rises not, and sealeth up the stars, uh, which alone spreadeth out the heavens, and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. 
which maketh Arcturus, Orion, Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. He brings out these constellations. He created them. He controls them. Uh, it goes on to mention his providence, his control of things. In verse 9, uh, no, verse 10, which doeth great things past finding out and wonders without number. For instance, he acts invisibly in verse 11. Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth on also, but I perceive him not. That's a verse that I used a year or so ago when Auburn played Alabama. Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth also, but I perceive him not. Uh, that was a bad verse uh, for that Auburn-Alabama game. Now, uh, he acts with an incontestable sovereignty, says Job. Verse 12, Behold, he taketh away. Who can hinder him? Who will say unto him, What doest thou? Uh, he acts with irresistible power. In verse 13, If God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do step or stoop under him. Now, we see... Uh, Job's question, how can a man be just with God? Uh, the reason, if God uh, uh, raises questions, he's utterly unable to answer. His inability to answer God's charges and God's attributes. Job's resulting attitude, then, is brought out in verses 14 to 20. He speaks first of his inability to plead his case before God. In verse 14, uh, he says, How much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him, uh, whom though I were righteous, yet I would not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. Uh, what Job has said of man's utter inability to contend with God, he now applies to himself and in fact despises of gaining God's favor. Uh, in effect, he says, even if I were righteous, I still wouldn't answer because, as the preceding argument shows, it would be a waste of effort. And uh, the best that I can do is to appeal for mercy to my accuser. Uh, Job's uh, inability to plead his case and Job's loss of confidence in God's coming to, him, to his help in verse 16, he says, If I had called and he had answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice. Now, now, why would he lose confidence in God's coming to his help? The reason, the very one who was, uh, whom he was seeking help from was the one that was crushing him. Verse 17, he says, For he breaketh me with a tempest and multiplieth my wounds without Cause. Now, you notice as far as Job can see, this is without cause that God is dealing with him in such a drastic way. You know, Job's proneness to accuse God here of bringing these things on him without cause. As Matthew Henry says, here, no doubt, Job spoke unadvisedly with his lips. He reflected on uh, God's goodness and justice. He impugns God. And uh, this is wrong. And 
and Job goes on to uh, give uh, as another reason why he's lost confidence the fact that his own mouth would condemn him if he claimed to be innocent. In verse 20, uh, he says uh, uh, that... Uh, uh, <clears throat> If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, I have done no wrong in effect, it shall also prove me perverse. Job wasn't claiming to be perfect in the sense of sinless. This is obvious throughout the passage. If God should charge any man, man couldn't answer him one in a thousand. So he's not saying that he's perfect. What he's saying is that uh, his sins don't deserve this kind of dealings from God's hands. His sins haven't brought these things on him. Now we see then God, uh, Job's question on justification. How can sinful man, and we're all sinful, be just with God? And then Job's studied observation about destruction. Job looks around him and he makes some observations on the dealings of God in general with men around him in verses 22 to 24. Uh, for instance, uh, in verse 22, he speaks of God destroying the perfect or the blameless of the innocent, we might say, and the wicked. In verse 22, he says, uh, This is one thing, therefore, I said it, he, God, destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. We might say the righteous and the wicked. Now here Job touches briefly upon the main point in dispute between him and his friends. They maintained that those who are righteous, those who walk with God, always prosper in this world and none but the wicked ones are in misery and distress. Uh, this is their point and Job is saying, no, if you look around you, you'll find that uh, disaster... Uh, comes to both the righteous and the wicked. God destroys both. If a flood comes, it takes both away. Calvin says, We have previously seen that Bildad, one of Job's friends, supporting the argument that God is just, poorly applied that argument when he stopped with a statement that God punishes man, men according as they have deserved. Now, this, says Calvin, is not correct. God sometimes spares and supports the wicked. Sometimes he chastens those whom he loves, and he treats them with uh, much greater severity. Uh, in the long run, why, of course, the wicked will be punished also. But in this world... Uh, God may suffer the wicked to prosper. And so uh, uh, Bildad's argument uh, was in error. God is just, but that justice isn't manifested in uh, the way that they said it was precisely. Uh, Job uh, says God destroys the perfect uh, and the wicked. And another observation, when calamity comes, the innocent suffer also. Very closely related. Verse 23 he says, if the scourge slay suddenly, he will laugh at the trial of the innocent. The innocent uh, 
experience this scourge also. Uh, it's a trial to them. And there's a little poem that says, Against the just, the Almighty's arrows fly, for he delights the innocent to try, to show their constant and their godlike mind, not by affliction broken, but refined. God does use affliction uh, with the innocent. They do suffer, but he's accomplishing something through that. He's conforming them to the image of his son. Uh, he's refining their gold, as Peter says. Uh, you notice there, though, uh, how Job phrases that. He refers to God laughing at the trial of the innocent. And again, as Matthew Henry points out, uh, Job has overstepped himself in his speech here. He's spoken unadvisedly. Matthew Henry says there's too much passion in what Job says here. The manner of expression is peevish. Uh, when he means, or what he, what he meant was that God pleased himself with the trial of the innocent, he ought not to have said he laughs at it, for God does not willingly afflict the children of men. God doesn't delight in causing hurt. He doesn't laugh at it. It says that he laughs when he overthrows the wicked. Uh, that's said in the second song. Now, uh, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Now, the uh, third thing that Job says in one of his observations here uh, concerns the giving of the earth into the hand of the wicked. He lets them uh, be in control often. In verse 24, the first part there, the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. Uh, and the fact that it's God who does all these things, God who brings the scourge, God who destroys the innocent and the wicked, God who gives the earth into the hand of the wicked. In the last part of verse 24, he says, uh, he covereth the faces of the judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? If God doesn't do it, who does it, says Job. It is God who does it. Now, uh, we see then, first, Job's question. How can man be just with God? His question about justification. And uh, then his observation. Uh, about destruction, calamity. Now, third, Job's keen perception of the need of mediation. In uh, verse 30 to 33 of this ninth chapter, it says, <clears throat> first, uh, again, he states his conviction of his inability to make himself acceptable before God. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? Verse 29, verse 30. If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. If I wash myself, if I were to somehow have a thorough moral purification of myself, self-cleansing, yet uh, that would be impossible. My there's no way I can make myself clean enough, says Job, that I could vindicate my case in the presence of God. My own mouth would condemn me. 
Uh, he speaks of uh, his conviction of his inability to make himself acceptable in the reason, the distance between the creature and the creator. In verse 32, For he is not a man as I am that I should answer him. And uh, we should come together in judgment, the distance between the creature and the creator. Um, Job said, I could neither initiate nor conduct the necessary negotiation. Um, and uh, in this, there's the perception of the need for a deisman, the need for mediation. In verse 33, he says, Neither is there any deisman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Neither is there any daysman. What is a daysman? Uh, in fact, he, he wants a negotiator. If He feels if I could just speak with God on equal terms, if God would lay aside his infinite majesty, his terrors, uh, for a moment, then I could present my case, and it would be acceptably heard, and I would be vindicated, I believe. But how is such a hearing to be obtained? Now, he is not a man, as I am, that I should answer him. So he sees this need of an umpire, and he longs for such. The Hebrew word is makik, and uh, M-A-K-I-H. And uh, he wants this daysman, uh, one who will bring the parties together by laying his hand on both as a common friend. But there is no daysman between us, says Job. Uh, of course, uh, there's a great New Testament answer to that longing, as it says in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, uh, in his book, Jesus' Answers to Job, uh, speaks of this daysman that Job longed for. A daysman, someone standing between man and God, someone who puts his hand on man and on God, someone who lays his hand on God with authority, the authority of partnership and fellowship, the authority of the fact that he is one with God, and one who lays his hand on me with the same authority, authority based on the fact of his own humanity, the man, Christ Jesus, who was, of course, God and man. Now, uh, there is a mediator. God has provided a mediator uh, who could bring man and God together, holy God, sinful man. He did this by giving himself a ransom. Uh, in other words, Christ died for our sins. It's not just uh, the authority of a common nature with God and a common nature with man that was needed that could bring the two together, but an atonement was also needed because man's sin needed atoning for, needed paying for, and Christ came that he might bring us together with God through dying in our stead, uh, taking our punishment upon himself. And Having done this, there now is a daysman. Praise the Lord. That which Job longed for so much, you and I know about. There is a great mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He has done the work necessary 
to bring us together uh, by one offering. He has sanctified forever those who come through him. Or uh, we must repent and believe. Those are the conditions necessary on our part. Uh, we, if we are to be just with God, if we are to have our sins forgiven, if uh, uh, we are to come through that way that has been opened up by Christ Jesus, must number one repent. What is repentance? Well, the Shorter Catechism defines repentance like this. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Let's go back through that definition. Repentance unto life, meaning no life without it, is a saving grace. God gives this gift of repentance whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, he sees his guilt before a holy God, and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. He sees that God is offering him mercy, forgiveness, through Christ who died for him. Doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. This man surrenders his will to God. He turns from his sin. He turns to God, purposing in his heart to obey God, endeavoring after new obedience. Suppose I were to say to you, how about turning over your life to me for the next three years to do with as I see fit? You'd say, what? And me be your slave and obey you? You be my master for three years? I say, yes. You'd say, no. And I understand you're not being willing to make that kind of commitment to me. But that's the kind of commitment that's involved in true repentance. You must surrender your will to Jesus Christ. And be willing to turn over control of your life to him, not for three years, but from now on. That's true repentance purposing in your heart to obey him and bringing forth fruit worthy of repentance, evidencing by your life that you really are turning from sin, that you really are purposing to obey him. That's repentance. It's uh, a surrender of my will to his will. Now, uh, faith is defined like this in the Shorter Catechism. Saving faith uh, is a gift whereby we receive and depend upon Christ alone for our salvation as he's offered to us in the gospel. Uh, we receive him and depend upon him alone, depend upon him to save us sinners, depend upon him to justify us. Justification is declaring us not guilty, uh, depending upon him and his death for us, not depending on our good behavior, depending on Christ who died for our bad behavior. Uh, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ alone, trusting only in what he did, only in him to save us, 
and surrender our will to him in true repentance. We are justified uh, and uh, we are right with God. Uh, the uh, standing then with God is one of not guilty. How shall man be just with God? By trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And uh, when we do that, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. When we trust in Christ, surrender in Christ, we are in Christ, and there's no condemnation. Our guilt is removed. Uh, now, we still need to walk with him, of course, but our status with God is just. Let me ask you, that's the greatest question in the world, how can man be just with God? Have you asked that question? Have you settled that question in your own heart? Have you taken those two steps of repentance and faith? Do you perceive your need of a mediator that without that mediator, that daysman between you and God, you cannot plead your case with God? He must plead your case. Have you come to him and committed your life to him? Uh, have you surrendered your will to him upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die? Another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. Have you ever done that? If not, uh, why not do that right now, today? Uh, pray in your heart like this. If you've never done this, Lord Jesus, I like Job, confess my need of a daysman, and how I thank you that you came to be that daysman. I trust you to lay your hand on me, and to lay your hand on God, and to bring the two of us together. I thank you for being my ransom, for dying for my sins, and I trust you to forgive me of my sins, and I surrender my will to you in repentance. Amen.